Hi, this is Steve Thomas, pastor of the First Baptist Church at Delray Beach. Welcome to our podcast. We study God's Word to apply it to our lives in order to make a difference in this life and in eternity. We hope you enjoy this message. We cry out, we cry out. Amen, amen. Thank you, Julie. I want you to know that we're excited about children's ministry here at First Baptist Delray. And as soon as our parents and our staff and our team and our community feel like we're ready to, to begin children's ministry again, we will have it. It'll be amazing, and we're very excited about it. In the meantime, we want to embrace children, figuratively, uh, during our service and give you a sense of what we're talking about here on Sunday morning. So happy Father's Day. I'm so glad that you dads are here. If you're a dad, would you just mind standing just for a moment? We just want to celebrate you, give you a round of applause. Thank you so much for what you do, what you have done, and what you represent. You may be seated. I don't have a rose for you like we do for mothers. I know you guys would love that, and uh, um, so, but we're so glad that you're here. And as you know, most churches on Father's Day, the goal is to beat up on dads and tell them how awful they are, right? We're not going to do that. We're going to honor you and celebrate how God uses you to point your children to Him. Now, dads are a little different than moms. Dads have a little different way of teaching their children, typically. And uh, we kind of have our own ideas about what children need and how they need to learn and grow. My dad was a wonderful dad, and I miss him so. Um, But he was a great father, and I remember he loved to play ball with us. And I remember being little, and all we had, we would play with these rubber balls so that we wouldn't hurt each other, right? Because we weren't really good at catching, and we would make sure that we had these little rubber balls, we'd throw them until our dad came to play with us, and dad brought a baseball. And dad taught us how to throw a baseball, and inevitably, someone got bonked in the noggin with the baseball. Do you know what bonk is in noggin in outside of Missouri? That means to get hit. Yeah, thank you. Thank you, Gene. That means to get hit in the head. And that person, my brother or I, or one of my sisters, we would roll around on the ground just in agony of getting hit with the baseball in the head. And you know what my dad would say? Rub some dirt on it. <laughs> Walk it off, right? No, my dad would say the, the classic dad response was, It'll feel better when it stops hurting. (laughs) Amen? It'll feel better when it stops hurting. That was a classic dad thing. The, The heart of that is, son, life hurts at times. That's part of it. Part of how I want you to grow is I want you to experience, at times, difficulty and even pain. And I'm going to allow that. I'm going to leave room in your life for you to do that so that you can grow and understand through experience what it means to be a grown man. That, that was my dad. He knew that we had to experience some pain. He had to leave room for that in order for us to grow up to be who we needed to be. But I love that quote. It'll feel better when it stops hurting. What we want to talk about today is the heart of the Father. And our model for that is God the Father. Dads, you probably know this, but you are the model that your kids will first use 
for who God is. You're not God, just in case you're wondering. Uh, None of us are, right? And none of us are perfect fathers, and none of us have had perfect fathers. But that's the template that your kids will first use. They will see you and think, this is what God must be like. It's just like in the Bible, David is not the perfect king, but he is a way for us to look forward to Jesus, the perfect king. And that's, how, that's your position. You are positioned as the one that your kids will model their ideas about God after. Now, how does that make you feel? It's pretty responsible, isn't it? It's a pretty heavy burden to think that that's how my kids will see God based on how I am. Well, today we want to look at, as Julie previewed, the prodigal son. Luke chapter 15, verse 11. And what we need to understand about this is that the, really the better name for this story is the gracious father. Because the parables are about what God is like. And we need to see this not in light of the sons, but so much in light of the father and what the father is like and what he's all about. While this isn't a passage primarily about parenting, it does help us as dads understand the heart of the father and the heart of that we need to have. So read with me, Luke chapter 15, beginning in verse 11. We'll read the entire story, and then we'll come back and talk about aspects, seven aspects in particular, about what it means to be a gracious father who has the heart of the heavenly father. Luke chapter 15, beginning in verse 11. This is Jesus speaking, and before I read, let me set this up for you. He is responding, it's always important for us to get Passages in context, right? Why does Jesus tell this story? He generally doesn't just go, hey, here's a story out of thin air. Listen. He gives them a context. And what's been happening is Jesus has been hanging out with some 'er ne'er-do-wells or some people that are not uh, church people, let's say. They're not people who live according to what God would expect. They're outcasts. And all the religious people are pointing at Jesus going, Look, he hangs out with sinners. And Jesus tells three parables. And the first two are these. The first one is a shepherd had a hundred sheep and one of them wandered off. And so he left the 99 to seek out the one until he found it and he came back rejoicing. And the second parable is the parable of the ten coins. A woman had ten coins And she lost one of them. And she diligently looked throughout her entire house to find the one coin. And she rejoiced when she found it. Even more than she rejoiced over the nine that she already had. And so Jesus is wanting them to understand it's important for us to get the fact that God rejoices over the return of the outcast. The return of the prodigal. The return of the one who's wandered off. And that sets up this story in Luke chapter 11, verse 15, verse 11. And he said, There was a man who had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all that he had and took a journey into a far country. And there he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country, and he began to be in need. 
And so he went and he hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him out to his field to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed even with the pods that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger? I will arise and I'll go to my father and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he arose and he came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Bring quickly the best robes and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet and bring the fattened calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found and they began to celebrate. Now his older son was in the field. And as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. And he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, Your brother has come, and your father has killed the fattened calf, and because he has received him back safe and sound. But he was angry and refused to go in. And his father came out and entreated him. But he answered and said, he answered his father, Look, these many years I have served you. I have never disobeyed your command. Yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him. And he said to him, Son, you are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad. For this your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. What an amazing picture of a gracious father. And this is who we want to be, dads. I want us to see seven things about this, the way that the father is gracious to those who have wandered off. The first is, a dad's role is to raise his children. To raise his children. Luke 15, 11 says this, there was a man who had two sons. That's how it all starts. And we know from the story that this man had raised them to the place where they were ready to live on their own. Proverbs 22.6 says, Train up a child in the way you should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. Now, Proverbs are not promises, they're principles, right? The idea is that I will raise my child in the way that they should go, and in general, they will stay on track. But as we see in this story, it doesn't mean that they will always be on track, does it? But he raises them, he's with them to the place that they are ready to live on their own. And those who were the original hearers of this story would have known that a Jewish father would raise their children, he would be responsible for their education, their training, and prepare them to take over his role as patriarch. Ultimately, the older son would do that. So he's raised them up, and he's also, he's a man of substance. He's somebody. He's not just a guy who raised his children and didn't have a career. No, this guy had employees. He had enough 
of wealth that he actually had a calf that they fattened to celebrate with. He was a celebratory guy. He was ready to have a great time when it was warranted. He was someone who was known. He had employees that were taken care of. They had enough bread to eat, we see later. So he raises his boys. He brings them to the point where they're ready to live on their own. And he is a man of substance. But secondly, he releases them. Now many of you have already released your children. You've launched them. You've seen them go off. It turns out that we don't really raise our kids to be robots in our house, right? We raise them to launch. And it's a challenging thing to release them, isn't it? It's a challenging thing to sit in that passenger seat while you teach them to drive. Amen, Mike Fitzpatrick. Um, You know know how that is. I know you've raised a great driver over there in Marissa. Praise God for her. But you've done that. You know what it means to release him is a scary thing. Verse 12 through 13 says, The younger son said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. And not many days later, the young son gathered all he had, took a journey to a far country, and squandered his property in reckless living. Can you imagine your son coming in? You go, hey, Dad, um, I know you're going to die someday. And I know when you die that I'm going to get a third of everything you have. I'm the younger son. The younger son got actually less than a third. The older son got two-thirds, and the rest was divided among the other siblings. But he got about a third probably. And he, can you imagine coming to you and going, hey, I know you're going to die. Give me a third now because really I'm not going to be the patriarch anyway. I got some plans. I got some business ideas. I got some stuff I want to do, and I just need to go ahead and go. So, I mean, as a dad, can you imagine that? You're thinking, I don't think so. I don't know who you think you are, but uh, you're not getting anything. That's what you want to say. But the dad doesn't. He does it. And it wasn't uncommon to divide your estate before you died in those days. In general, the dad would still be able to exercise authority over his estate, but it was set that the sons could do also what they kind of wanted to with their portion of the estate. And so the son, the younger son says, I'm out of here. And he takes his goods and he goes to a foreign land and he squanders it. Being a gracious father is expensive. He he risks a third of what he has on his younger son. And he knows where he's going. And he can predict what's about to happen. He knows he's probably going to lose all of his money. And so the father releases him. And you wonder, what's going through his mind? He's probably thinking this. You know what? This son's heart is not in line with my way of life. I've raised him to this point. He's going to have to make his own decision. And he runs off and he loses his money. In the meantime, where's the father? What's he doing? He's waiting He's waiting. You can kind of see him. In today's world, he'd probably be on the front driveway in a lawn chair waiting for his son to come home. Um, Or on the front porch, and he's looking. He's looking out there. He's looking for his son to come home. He's waiting for him. 
The, the, the temptation always is, man, do I need to go rescue him? Should I go get him? Should I go grab him? Should I drag him back home and make him do the right thing? But the father doesn't do that. He waits and he watches. You can see him. He's looking out over that hillside, over that horizon, just waiting to see if his son will start to come home. He's paying attention. He's waiting. He's watching. And he's keeping the door open. He's keeping the door open. I've had many parents ask me over the years, you know, Steve, my children are not living the way I wish they would live. They're living lives that are not in line with how I raised them. They're outside of, of, of how God, the way of Jesus. What do I do? Do I cut them off? I can't have some of the things they're doing in my home. What do I do? I want to encourage you. Find a way to keep the door open. Which means you've got to find a way to have a relationship with them of some kind. And you have to decide what that looks like. But they need to know the way home. And that you're there, you're waiting, you're watching, and you're keeping the door open for them to be able to come home. It's a hard thing. It's emotionally exhausting. But it is that part of a father because that's what God is doing. For each of us, He doesn't make us follow Him. Jesus didn't come to the disciples and say, listen, I'm grabbing you by the hair and I'm dragging you on my way. No, He invites Him, come and follow Me. Walk the way I'm walking. Let Me teach you a new way of life. But it's your choice. You see, God always leaves room for repentance. He won't force us His desire, the thing that he gets most excited about in us is when we repent. And I would tell you, for most dads, that's the thing they get most excited about, to see their child make a choice to follow Jesus. Make their own choice to follow Jesus. We have to leave room for them to do that. We have to release them. Great dads release their children into the hand of God. And great dads will sacrifice anything for their children to choose Jesus. They'll sacrifice their own peace. They'll sacrifice their funds. Whatever they have to do to see their child choose Jesus. So we release them. We wait. We watch. We keep the door open. And look what happens in verse 14 through 20. As we read earlier, he runs out of money. And he winds up doing the lowest job possible for a Jew, which is to care for pigs. It doesn't get any lower, any more unclean, any more unlike a Jew than to care for pigs. And that's where he finds himself. And there's a point at his lowest where he wakes up and goes, wait a minute, guys that work for my dad are better off than this. The the lowest worker that works on my dad's estate is better off than this. The Bible says he comes to himself, and it's a picture of repentance, of waking up and realizing, I'm missing out on what's best in my life. I'm missing out on that. And he starts to rehearse what he's going to say. Father, I've sinned. I'm no longer worthy to be your son. And and he's got this whole speech design, and he starts and he walks towards home. His father has left room for repentance 
and it's the most important thing your child can develop. Sure enough, he comes over the hill. And what does the dad do when the son appears? The dad is asleep in a lawn chair, and he's not paying any attention. Or maybe he sees him and he thinks, you know what, I'm going to make him come all the way here and fall on his face before me. I'm going to embarrass him as much. No, that's not what he does, is it? No, gracious Father, as soon as he sees his son make a move towards him, he's right there. And he jumps out of that lawn chair, or he jumps out of that rock, whatever, he runs to him. And in those days, you have to understand, for a businessman, for a patriarch, to run was totally inappropriate. It was beneath him. It was embarrassing, especially to run after this prodigal who's been embarrassing the family name all these years. He runs to him, and he grabs him. He embraces him. He wants his son to know right away he's accepted. He kisses him. He says, you're my son, and the son starts to get through this this apology, and his dad doesn't even need to hear it. You've come. You've repented. You've come home. See, the heart of a father runs to their child when they make one move towards him. And that's how God is for you. He just waits for that moment when we turn and say, God, I, I, I've, I don't deserve you, but I want to be your child again. And he runs and he grabs us and he kisses and he celebrates. And right away he restores him. What does he do? He says, hey, bring the robe that my child should wear. Bring the clothes that somebody in my family should be wearing. Bring the ring, which would be showing authority. You have the authority as one of my children. Bring shoes, because a lot of people didn't have shoes in those days, and it shows that you're a part of my household. He restores him immediately to be his child. That's the love that God has for you. And that's still not enough. He rejoices, he celebrates. What does he do? He, he says, let's kill the fattened calf. Can you imagine? This is, this is like the celebra- celebration you would have for a wedding. That's how excited he is. And he invites his people and he has a banquet. He restores his child to be a part. He wants everyone to know that his child has come home. That which was dead is now alive. And you think, that's a great story. Let's just end it right there. But really the most important part of the story is about to happen. Verse 25 through 28, the older son shows up and he goes, what's going on? Why is everyone celebrating? What's happening? Why is everyone excited? And he says, your brother's come home. Your father's thrown a big banquet. And the older son says, why? And he won't go into the banquet, which incidentally is a very embarrassing thing for the father. The older son embarrasses him by refusing to go into the banquet because the younger son would have been the master of ceremonies at this banquet. It would be like the best man not showing up at a wedding. He won't go in. He says, you never bless me like you did this son who was gone and has come back. You've, you've never thrown a party like this for me. I've been here all this time. But the father has to retrain the son. He has to retrain him. He says this, son, you're always with me. All that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad. For this, your brother was dead and alive. He was lost and is found. Get this and understand this. 
God's heart, God's joy comes more from repentance than anything else. And this is where church people kind of get confused. Because what we can do is say, you know what? I've been walking with Jesus since I was born practically. I've never rebelled. Isn't God, hasn't, God hasn't given me any kind of celebration. See, that's an indication that our heart is not His. See, all of us need repentance. All of us need to develop that sense of need for God and being far from Him and repenting, saying, God, I need for you to forgive me. It reminds me of a situation that happened to Julie and I once when kids were little. Um, you see, God gets more excited about finding something that was lost than if it had never been lost. And we'd been out on the lake that day and um, up in Kentucky. The kids were little and got late. We came in, parked the boat at the slip, and we thought, you know, this is, let's, let's, Julie takes the kids up to the van, and I'm cleaning out the boat, and I'm getting all of our little stuff together. And Julie had this one nice pair of sunglasses, and it was, it was a good pair. I had bought it for her for her birthday. And it's happened sometimes to dads. We're gathering stuff, and I knocked her sunglasses into the water. And I thought, well, then, you know, what can I do? They're in the water. They're gone. So I hauled the stuff up. We got in the van. We're all sweating. We're starting to drive away. And I said, hey, I'm sorry, but I dropped your sunglasses in the water. And my dear, sweet, loving wife got just a little bit quiet. We drove a little ways. And she said, how deep is the water? Uh, it's, you know, it's probably eight, ten feet, maybe a hundred feet. I don't know. Um, it's, it's, you know, and even if we could get down there, there's probably, that's where people park their boats and there's probably a lot of cans and bottles and ways to get injured. If one were to go searching for, uh, theoretically, uh, lost sunglasses. And I thought, you know, and she just was just quiet and thoughtful, drove a little further. Well, I could go back and look. She said, could you? As though she'd never thought of it. And so we turned the van around and we went back to the marina. We pushed that old boat out of its slip and I thought, you know, at least I'll get credit for cutting my hand open and trying to find the sunglasses. And I, I pushed the boat out and I tied it off and I, I just took a, you know, a, made it look good made an effort, dove down into the murky, muddy water, and I reached down to where they might possibly be, and as soon as my hand hit the mud, I found what felt like a pair of sunglasses. It was a miracle. And I swam to the surface, and I looked at her, and I said, do they look like these? And do you know? that my wife was happier that I found the sunglasses than if they had never been lost. That's a funny story. But understand, that's like the heart of our Father. He is so happy when we repent. It's amazing to me that we, we resist it all because that's what makes God's happiest. It's better than doing any great deed. It's that heart of repentance that you get. And see, so the older son doesn't understand that. He thinks that all of his 
deeds to be with the Father and to live apparently as the Father would want him to live makes him loved by the Father or makes his heart aligned with the Father when in fact his heart is so far out of phase with the Father. Because he doesn't understand that the Father values repentance so much. In our culture today, there are many who are claiming to be righteous on the left and on the right. And there is so much judgmental attitudes on both sides. We need to care about cultural issues, folks. We need to care about our brothers and sisters of different races. We need to embrace them. We need to understand as best we can what they're going through and how to heal that. But let me tell you, no social issue is more important than the issue of Jesus Christ. His heart of repentance is what the gospel is all about. So many times we feel so righteous because we're on the right side or the left side or whatever side of the issue. It will never replace the heart of Jesus, which is repentance and drawing people into that. Keep that in your heart. This is the heart of a father. So a dad, what does he do? He raises, he releases, he runs, he restores, he rejoices, he retrains, and then one more, he remains. Dads, Jesus Christ doesn't give up and you shouldn't either. He is there throughout. Even when his two sons turn out to not get him, he remains. He stays in the game. Dads, you're always a dad. Your whole life, you're going to be a dad. It changes, and it adjusts. And as my dad told me when I was about 13, he said, son, I'm going to release you slowly. I'm going to give you gradually more and more independence so that when you're 18 and you move out, you won't be surprised. It changes, but dad, you need to remain and be ready to help. Be ready to advise. So a faithful father, he leaves room for God to develop repentance in his children. Where are you? Where are you today? Are you walking the way of Jesus? Are you following him and living as he lived and trying to fit into his plan? Are you constantly trying to pull him into yours? So there's two sides of the coin in the story. One side is open rebellion the other is closed rebellion or hidden rebellion. The one says, I'm just going to go live exactly the opposite of the way my dad wanted me to live. I'm going to go live the exact opposite of the way Jesus wants me to live. The other is, I think I deserve something from him. I don't really need to repent. I've already lived a good life. I'm a good person. Don't I get credit for that? And let me tell you, the answer is no, you really don't. Because none of us are good. No, not one. But the good, good Father sent His Son to die for you and for me. Where's your heart today? He would be so thrilled for any of us to repent today. Some of you may need to repent for the very first time. Say, Jesus, I, I don't think I've ever done that. I thought I was a good person, but I've, I've never said to Jesus... I don't deserve to be your child. I need your blood that you spilt for me to count for me. Some of us need to come back and say, you know, I, I've kind of followed Jesus, but kind of lately I've felt kind of justified by my own acts, my own deeds. 
we need to come back. We need to repent and thank Jesus that he's a good and gracious father. Don't miss the opportunity to live the way of Jesus. Would you bow with me? Thanks for joining us today. If you'd like to support this ministry, go to our website at fbcdelray.com. Also, click the share button so you can share this message with a friend or someone in need as we seek to know Jesus, to know others, and to make him known. We cry out, we cry out.